righteous. That's Romans 3, 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood, to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It's excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For me, we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. It was December 1982, and millions of TV viewers were glued to their sets as they watched a man struggling to survive the freezing water of the Potomac River in Washington, D.C. A helicopter quickly reached the scene and viewers watched as the helicopter let down a rope to pull the man to safety. The man grabbed hold of the rope, but then, astonishingly, quite deliberately, let go of it. This happened five times, grabbing hold of it, and then quite deliberately letting go of it. Before exhausted, he went under. That doesn't make any sense. Why would you let go of the rope five times and drown? Well, you need to understand the context. A plane had taken off from Dallas Airport in Washington, D.C., the engines had failed. The pilot had made an emergency landing on the Potomac River. All the passengers were left in the freezing river. The helicopter arrived 
and let down the rope, the man was a strong swimmer. He grabbed the rope and brought it to them. They were pulled to safety. This happened five times before exhausted. He went under and died. What at first sight seemed like a crazy waste of life was in fact a rescue. I was in a Bible study and someone said, I just don't understand why Jesus died. After all, he seems to have almost provoked his confrontation with the Jewish authorities. It's almost as if he chooses to go to the cross. Why would he do this? It's such a crazy waste of life. But it was a rescue. We're looking today at God's rescue for the world. In this letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul sets out the gospel. It's his clearest and fullest exposition of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Here is the answer to our greatest need. We're sinful. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. And none of us can escape this, whether we're Jewish and religious or Gentile and atheistic. We all stand under the judgment of God because of our sin. Chapter 3, verse 10. There is no one righteous, not even one. Every single one of us has broken God's law. We've rebelled against him. We've refused to have Jesus as our rightful king, and we stand under the judgment of God. We're like the passengers in the Potomac River. We're facing certain destruction. But... Because God loves us, he gives a rescuer. And that's what Good Friday is all about. God's rescue. I've got three things to say about God's rescue. God's rescue, righteousness through faith. God's rescue, appeasing his own wrath. And God's rescue makes us humble. Firstly then, God's rescue, righteousness through faith. Verses 21 to 24. Verse 21. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This is wonderful. 
good news. There is no one who is righteous. We all stand under God's judgment. But now, a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This can also be translated, a righteousness of God has been made known. In other words, in the gospel, the glorious standard of God is revealed. His righteousness, his justice, his goodness. That's a fair translation. But we're still talking about a gift from God, as we'll see in a moment. There is a way of being righteous apart from law, apart from rule-keeping. My friend didn't want to accept that Jesus intended to go to the cross. Also, could not accept that they'd done anything wrong. Many people feel that by keeping rules, they will get to heaven. But now, a righteousness from or of God, apart from law, apart from rule-keeping, apart from earning salvation, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The Old Testament always promised that God would send a way of being righteous. Paul is going to say again in chapter 4 that all of this began with Abraham. Abraham receives righteousness as a gift. It's credited to him. Rather like if great-aunt Maud credits some money into your account as a Christmas present. It's a gift. And verse 22, this righteousness or justice, it's the same word that's translated justice in verse 26. This righteousness from God or of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. How do you get right with God? How do you receive his righteousness? How do you receive his justice? You believe. You have faith. When Hudson Taylor went to China, he made the voyage on a sailing vessel. As it neared the channel between the southern Malay Peninsula and the island of Sumatra, the missionary heard an urgent knock on the door. He opened it, and there stood the captain of the ship. Mr. Taylor, he said, we have no wind. We're drifting towards an island where the people are heathen, and I fear they're cannibals. What can I do? asked Taylor. 
I understand that you believe in God. I want you to pray for wind. All right, Captain, I will. But you must set the sail. Why, that's ridiculous. There's not even the slightest breeze. Besides, the sailors will think I'm crazy. But finally, because of Taylor's insistence, he agreed. Forty-five minutes later, he returned and found the missionary still on his knees. You can stop praying now, the captain said. We've got more wind than we know what to do with. Faith is about coming to the end of yourself. The captain of the ship could do no more. He could only ask Hudson Taylor to pray. In Romans, we must come to the end of ourselves. We must come to the end of our own good works, our religiosity. We must simply believe in what God offers. This righteousness comes from, from God, comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. I can't make myself right with God. I can only now accept what Jesus has done on my behalf. Accept what he offers me. There is no difference, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I can convince myself I'm not a sinner if I'm comparing myself to other people. But when I realize that the standard is the glory of God, then I realize that I am a sinner compared to the glorious holiness of God. Compared to God, I am filthy dirty. There are lots of illustrations of this in Christian circles. Here's my version. I had a dog when I was growing up, and he was called Scamp. He was a West Highland Terrier. He was also known as Yellow Smellow. We called him Yellow Smellow as an adaptation of the Donovan song. They call him Mellow Yellow. We called him Yellow Smellow. Because no matter how much we bathed him, we couldn't make him white. He was always somewhat yellow. He looked white enough, but if you put him against brilliant white, you could always see how dirty he was. And it's like that between us and God. We may look impressive. We may look white compared to people. But compared to God, we're dirty. We're yellow smellow. 
all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, verse 24, are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Justified means declared innocent. So here we are, we're yellow against the white of God. We're sinful. But we may be declared clean, innocent, holy, pure by God's grace. In other words, we don't earn this. It's a gift of grace. It's a free gift through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Because Jesus died on the cross, he is able to redeem us. In other words, he pays the price to rescue us out of slavery to sin and death and hell. God's rescue Righteousness through faith. Secondly, God's rescue, appeasing his own wrath. Verses 25 and 26. Would it be right if God just swept our sin under the carpet? We used to have some cleaners who came to our house. There were three of them. They did a good job, except that they didn't move the furniture and they didn't move the rug in the sitting room. So at some point, after they'd gone, I had to go round with the hoover and go under the sofa and under the rug. Because although in other respects they did a good job, our cleaners left the dirt under the rug. Is God like that with our sin? Will he just say, oh, never mind. Never mind about lying. Never mind about cheating. Never mind about adultery. Never mind about pornography. Never mind about injustice. Will God just say that? No. God is righteously angry with sin. He is holy. He cares about child abuse. He cares about the distribution of wealth. God is righteously angry with sin. And so, verse 25 God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Literally, this means God appeased his own anger. He propitiated his own anger through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. In Jesus, God the Son took the anger of God 
for my sin on himself on the cross. God's anger is satisfied. And that means he doesn't need to be angry with me or with you. When I put my faith in Jesus' blood, God's anger for my sin is turned away. Jesus has dealt with it. And this means there is justice. There is justice for sin. Sin is not swept under the carpet. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Verse 26, he did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. A friend of mine was telling me about Rodney. Rodney was very unhappy at school and he took to systematically vandalizing the school property. Eventually, he threw a brick through a window. He was summoned to the headmaster's office, whereupon he threw another brick through the window. And the amazing thing is, he still didn't get punished, or not severely. The headmaster couldn't bring himself to expel Rodney. Is God like that? After all, through history, you may think sin has been left unpunished. Well, it's at the cross that God punishes sin. It's at the cross that justice is done. We have broken God's laws. We deserve to be expelled from the school. But Jesus has come from heaven. He has lived a perfect life. And he has taken on himself the justice, the punishment we deserve for the things we've done wrong. God has shown himself to be just, whilst also making us just, making us righteous. I think you'll agree, this is the best news in the world. I'm a sinner. There's a price that must be paid for my sin. If I refuse what Jesus has done for me, I will pay the price for my own sin in hell. 
But because Jesus loves me, loves you, he has taken my punishment. Justice has been satisfied. And I can be forgiven. You can be forgiven. We can be right with God. We can go to heaven. God's rescue. Righteousness through faith. God's rescue. Appeasing his own wrath. And thirdly, God's rescue makes us humble. Verses 27 to 31. If I insist on saying that I am good enough for heaven, I'm doomed. Because the standard is not the standards of our society. The standard for heaven is God's own glory, God's holiness. So verse 27, where then is boasting? Imagine if I said, I'm going to go to heaven because I've been very religious. I'm an ordained minister. Then put that up against the blazing holiness of God. I'm yellow smellow. I'm lost. Verse 27. If I can boast of observing the law, I'm lost. I've broken God's law thousands of times. No, verse 28. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Chris Lambriano was a member of the Cray Twins gang in the East End in the 1950s. He was one of the Cray's henchmen. He was an evil, violent man. But later, he put his trust in Christ. He said, Although I've done many terrible things that I'm ashamed of, I know that God has forgiven me. And I'll never be punished by God for them because Jesus died for me. Now the thing is, you're sitting there thinking, I'm not as bad as Chris Lambriano. But you're still yellow smellow compared to the whiteness of God. And so the gospel humbles us. I've got nothing to boast of. I've got no qualifications for heaven. Verse 29, it doesn't matter what my nationality is. God will save me, not because of my own good works, but because of my faith in Jesus, that I'm trusting in Jesus, not in my own goodness. I am totally humbled. 
verse 31 links with what Paul says about the Old Testament, the law. Abraham was saved by his faith at the beginning of the Bible. So justification by faith upholds the law. It's a fulfillment of the law. And the simple point stands, verse 31, we will want to obey God. Now that we have been saved because we love him, we will want to please him. But I'm totally humbled. I'm a sinner. I need the mercy of God. And that is what he offers me. God's rescue. Righteousness through faith. God's rescue. Appeasing his own wrath. God's rescue makes us humble. Will you receive the forgiveness God offers you today? Will you play your part in God's rescue mission? In a moment, we're going to come to the Lord's table. And let's reflect on what Jesus has done for us. I'm unworthy, we're unworthy, but Jesus has died to take away all our sin, to take our place, to take our punishment. The Lord's table is an opportunity to be assured Jesus has done this for me. This applies to me. His blood was shed for me. He was nailed to the cross for me. So let's take a moment to consider how do I stand before God? Have I received God's forgiveness, God's blessing, God's love to me? And if I have, well then I want to share it with others. Let's take a moment of silence and then we'll sing together.